You're listening to a message from our Sunday morning service at Hayes Hills Baptist Church, where we seek to bring life-changing hope to an ever-changing people through the unchanging gospel. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit hayeshills.com. Our prayer is that this message would serve to equip and empower you to live as a follower of Jesus in conjunction with your belonging to a local body of believers. Well, we're currently walking through our series on 1 Corinthians, which we'll be in for the majority of this year. We'd encourage you to follow along, and we hope that this message serves as a blessing to you. By the power of the Holy Spirit, amen. Um, As we honor our graduates, Uh, today, and they are headed into this next phase of their life. I hope the the graduates that are headed to college will check the credentials of their professors, because it wasn't long ago that authorities showed up at Polk State University to arrest one of the professors who had falsified his doctoral degree. Uh, When they executed the search warrant, it didn't take long to determine that the diploma was a forgery because it was printed on the wrong color paper and prominently featured a misspelled word. And, and what's so fascinating about the situation, I mean, yes, the professor got five years in prison for uh, faking his diploma in order to secure his teaching position and the salary that came along with it. But, but what's fascinating to me is that this was one of the professors that was most beloved by the students, one of the highest rated profs by the student body. And so here you've got all of these students, they're paying a lot of money to learn the right things the right way from the right people. And they became enamored with a fraudulent phony, a guy who was faking his way through it all. And that's not just a danger on college campuses, it's a danger for churches as well. You know, when it comes to our religious education, when it comes to our spiritual instruction, with so many people saying so many different things, how do we know that we're listening to the right person? How do we know that we're letting the right people speak into our lives with spiritual authority? That question consumed the church at Corinth. The church was divided. They were arguing over who they ought to be listening to. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul writes to the church in order to give them some instruction on how they can determine if they're learning the right things the right way from the right person. And it's to that instruction that I want us to turn this morning. And so if you brought your Bible, and I hope you did, I want to invite you to join me there, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. If you've got a digital device you can use to pull up the scriptures, I'd encourage you to search for the ESV, the English Standard Version. So that's the version, the translation of the Bible I'll be reading from today. And so if you search ESV, 1 Corinthians 4, you'll be able to follow right along with me. And I'm going to begin reading there this morning in verse 14, as the Apostle Paul writes this. He says, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. 
What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? And the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. And this is God's word to us today. And in these verses, the Apostle Paul is asking the church in Corinth, are you sure that you're listening to the right person? Because there is a big difference between pedagogues and a father. He says there in verse 15, you have countless guides in Christ. Literally, the Greek is you have 10,000 pedagogues. And in the Greek world, a, a pedagogue was a slave that was tasked by his master with overseeing the education of the master's son. And in the Greek world, in plays, pedagogues were always portrayed as these harsh and stupid people. In Greek art, they were always depicted with a rod in their hand. Because it's, it's an odd situation, isn't it? An uneducated slave being tasked with overseeing the education of the master's son. You got a guy who is accustomed to, to being told what to do, who is now given the authority to tell someone else what to do. You got someone who's used to having to obey or face the rod of discipline, now being the person who's not receiving the blows, but giving them. And so pedagogues in the Greek world were uh, harsh people, typically not motivated by love of the child they were caring for, but motivated by love of self. Because being a pedagogue, it gave them a sense of status, authority, influence that they didn't have as a run-of-the-mill slave. And so what Paul is saying here in this text is be careful because there are a lot of people who are going to seek to speak into your life with spiritual authority who do not have your best interest at heart but their own. You've got many pedagogues, countless guides. But how different, he says, is the love of a father? Because... Um, a father isn't motivated by love of self when he cares for his child. A father, a good one, is motivated by love of his kid. And, and that's why, although in verse 21, what, what Paul makes clear, a pedagogue comes with the rod. He asks, shall I come to you with a rod? Shall I come to you like a pedagogue? But a father, look how a father approaches a child. A father approaches with love in a spirit of gentleness. And Paul says, which do you want when I come to you? Do you want me to come as a pedagogue or as a father? Because Paul, unlike these other teachers who are currently speaking with influence in Corinth, verse 14, he's not trying to shame the Corinthians. He's trying to gently admonish them, gently correct them, because the Corinthians, verse 14, are his beloved children. Verse 15, he says, look, I became your father in Christ when I preached and you came to faith. And Paul is saying, you shouldn't listen to these current teachers who are just pedagogues. You ought to listen to your father. And Paul isn't saying that every Christian only has one spiritual father that we ought to listen to. Whoever led us to Christ, that's the only person we ought to listen to. Notice he says there in verse 15, he says, you do not have many fathers. It's himself to be a father of the Corinthians. But doubtless, Paul considered them to have many other spiritual fathers as well. For example, Apollos, who faithfully pastored the church in Corinth after Paul had left. 
And so Paul is saying, look, what you need, you need people who will act like fathers, not come to shame you, not come to strike you with the rod, not come to beat you down, not looking out for their good, but people who will gently correct you in love like a father. And, you know, um, it was a problem in Corinth back then, but it's still a problem in the 21st century church today, isn't it? There are lots of people who want to speak into your life, speak into my life with spiritual authority, who are not looking out for our best interests but their own. There are internet preachers and teachers who are out to build their brand, out to build their own kingdom. And so they will do whatever it takes to get you to click that link, watch that video, uh, you know, purchase this next teaching series and listen to it, buy their next book. And if their ministry does you any spiritual good, they don't, really, they don't really care about that. That's not really what motivates them. What motivates them is that purchase is for their good. And if you are not careful, Paul says, you'll listen to the wrong people. People who don't have your best interest at heart, but their own. And what we all need in our lives are, are people who are spiritual fathers, people who care about us, who, who when everything goes sideways, when our marriage is, is falling apart, when our health is failing, when we're near death, when our kids are struggling and we need help, guess what? The internet celebrity isn't going to show up. We need faithful Christians who care about us, who are, who are more like spiritual fathers, spiritual parents, who will come and care for us in those moments. Paul says, make sure you're listening to the right people. But he doesn't simply care that they're listening to the right people. He also has some other concerns for them. And as we, we look at the text here, we, we ought to pause, I think, for just a moment and realize not only does this text apply to our spiritual lives, it also applies to our parenting. Because... Not every father is a good father, and not every mother is a good mother. There are parents, aren't there, who look more like pedagogues. And so when we look at a text like this and we see, man, there are people who are speaking into our lives, not looking out for our best interest. Every parent, every grandparent in this room ought to pause and say, what do I look like? In my kids' and my grandkids' lives, do I look more like a parent or a pedagogue? Because if your go-to moves in parenting are shame and spanking, you're looking more like a pedagogue. That's what Paul is saying. He's saying, look, my, my go-to isn't to shame you, verse 14, nor is it to come with the rod, verse 21. A father comes in a spirit of gentleness, in a spirit of love. I seek to gently correct first. And so if you're the kind of person who these words leave your lips often, what is wrong with you? What in the world were you thinking? Don't you know there are starving children in Africa and you're, you're you know, not eating what's on your plate? I've done all of this for you and you're not grateful. If you recognize those things coming from your lips, regrettably, I recognize them coming off of mine. What are words like that trying to accomplish? They're trying to accomplish behavior change through shame. If, if your go-to move maybe isn't shame, but spanking, if you think, hey, if there's a problem, spanking will solve it, and that's your go-to solution for everything, again, you probably look more like a pedagogue. 
I want to be clear, there's time when discipline is necessary, when the rod is required. But notice verse 21, that's not Paul's first tool in his tool belt. Spanking isn't his first solution. The rod is his last resort. He says, I'm going to come to you first with gentle love and correction, and then, if needed, I'll come with a rod. And so, as we examine our lives as parents, we ought to ask, what do I look like? I find in my own life, I tend to get myself in trouble when I'm no longer thinking about what is best for my kid, but I'm thinking instead what is best for me. You know, I've been disrespected. I haven't received the honor I think I'm due. Maybe um, a child hasn't been as grateful as I think they ought to have been. And I feel slighted. And then in that moment, I respond not with what's best for my kid, but what I think is best for me. I want them to understand this is how I deserve to be treated. And my correction isn't motivated with a concern for what is best for them, but, but what is best for me. And so may God make us as parents and may God give us as pastors uh, people who are concerned not first and foremost for what is best for them, but what is best for others. And then Paul turns his attention from making sure we're learning from the right kinds of people to make sure we're learning the right things the right way. He says uh, there in verse 16, he says, I urge you then be imitators of me. And what Paul is communicating to the church in Corinth is that it's not enough to simply know the right doctrine if knowing the right doctrine doesn't result in right behavior. What Paul is saying is, um, you know, what's going on there in Corinth and what so often happens with us is we know the truth. We know the right doctrine. We just don't know how to rightly apply it in our lives. And so last weekend, I was back home in Midland uh, for my oldest niece's graduation. And uh, just as a quick aside, thank you, Hazels, for providing time for me and my family to get away and to be able to celebrate things like that. It's a good gift. And uh, we were there in Midland and having a good time with family. My youngest, Abram, was having a great time playing with the cousins, but he was struggling to share. And so I, I pull him aside and I say, Abram, uh, one of the things Jesus teaches us is that we're not just supposed to care about what we want, but, and he interrupts me, he says, Dad, I know the verse. And, and he quotes to me, Philippians chapter 2, verse 4, he says, let each of us look not only to our own interests, but also to the interests of others. And, and I say, Abram, that's, that's great that you know the verse, but let's obey it. And I wish I could say that's just an Abram issue in our family, but there's another man in our house, a guy by the name of Aaron, who also has a problem with that. I know the verse in Ephesians 5 that says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And I like to think to myself, like, oh, I'll die for Lindsay. But then Lindsay asks me to do something around the house. And I put it off. Or I think to myself, oh, she could do that. And I like to tell myself that I would die for her, but in truth, I'm not even willing to give up a little bit of free time for her. I know the right doctrine, but it doesn't result in right behavior. I know the verse in 2 Peter that says, Jesus, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. But when someone gives me some lip, I want to return the favor. I know the right doctrine. I don't always exhibit the right behavior. 
And so what Paul is saying here in verse 16, as he urges them to imitate him, is he is saying to the church at Corinth and to you and me, we need both information and demonstration. We need people to teach us the truth to our ears, but we need teachers who will also show the truth to our eyes. People who will not only teach us the right doctrine, but will show us how that doctrine ought to look when it's lived out in life. And so the Apostle Paul says, look, if, if, if you have moral encouragement without information, if you, if you just say, hey, do this, anybody who has a child, you know what the next question is. Why? <laughs> and so if all that we do in the church is say, here's what you're supposed to do, do this, but you never have the information, you never have the doctrine behind it, you're going to start to question, why should I live that way? I mean, the culture tells me, you do you. Like, look out for number one. Why should I care for other people? And if you don't have the doctrine behind it, if you don't understand that this is who Jesus was, he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. If you don't understand, this is how we ought to live because of his example and what he has done and is doing in and through us. You'll just say, well, why should I live this way? This is ridiculous. But on the other hand, if you get the right information without demonstration, if someone teaches you the right doctrine, but they don't live it out before you, you don't get a chance to see it, we run the risk of thinking we know the truth without living the truth. And so as one quick example, I think it's an open and shut case, but maybe not. Maybe our our hearts are this dull. Um, I'll, I'll just say this. I think every single person in this room understands that we're not to be greedy. Everybody in this room understands that we're supposed to be generous people. Like, we understand the teaching, we understand the doctrine. But you know what? In, in 15 years, over 15 years of ministry, I have had a lot of people come and confess a lot of things to me. I have never once had somebody come and say, Aaron, would you pray for me because I am a greedy person? Never once. Now, you look at the New Testament and Jesus and the apostles, they are concerned with greed. Like, they are talking about it all the time. Now, why is Jesus wasting his breath talking about greed when clearly we're just like all knocking it out of the park? None of us struggle with greed. Reality is, we're just all blind to the fact. We know the doctrine, but we're blind to the fact that greed has a grip on our hearts. Because we all can find someone who appears to be a little greedier than we are, and we think, oh, that's what greed looks like. I'm good. And so what we need are teachers who will not only speak the truth to us, they'll not only give us the doctrine and say, you aren't to be greedy, you are to be generous, but we then need teachers who will step into our lives and by their example, by what they do with their life, they show us, oh, whoa, That's what it looks like to be generous. Oh my goodness, am I greedy? And we need both information and demonstration if we are to be made like Jesus. That's what Paul is saying as he says there in verse 16, hey, I urge you, be imitators of me. And Paul can't get to Corinth right away, and so he sends Timothy. Notice there in verse 17, he says, That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ. Now, you catch why Paul sent Timothy? 
He sent Timothy to Corinth because Timothy has the same status as the believers in Corinth. Look back at verse 14. What did Paul say about the Corinthians? He says, you are my beloved children in the Lord. And what does he say of Timothy in verse 17? He is my beloved child in the Lord. They have the same status, the Corinthians and Timothy. The difference, the distinction between the two is that Timothy is a faithful child following in the footsteps of his father. Uh, One of the, the stranger quirks about me, I've got a few, you've probably noticed. But one of the stranger quirks about me is I wink without thinking about it. And so if you're around me and I wink at you, I promise I'm not flirting with you. I just, I just do it without realizing it. And, and I don't know why I wink, but I know where I got it from. I got it from my dad. My dad is a winker. And what would really freak people out in life is they'd be with me and my dad in the same room. Something would happen and we'd both wink at them. And they're like, whoa, like what is, what is going on? But he didn't know he was winking. I didn't know I was winking. There are just certain stimuli that cause us to wink. And, and I know the reason I do that is because I love my father. I wanted to be nothing more than like my dad growing up. I still want to be like my dad. And I was his beloved son, and his love changed me as I watched him. And in the same way, Timothy was Paul's beloved son, and as Timothy watched his father, he became like him. He, he was changed by that love. He followed in his footsteps. And so Paul can send Timothy to show the Corinthians what it looks like to live like Paul. And you may wonder, like, man, where does Paul get off? Like in, in verse 19, he calls these current teachers in Corinth arrogant. How can you call those guys arrogant? And then in verse 16 say, hey, I want to urge you, imitate me. Like believers in Corinth, your life would be better if you just lived more like me. And that seems like a strangely arrogant thing to say. So how can you call those dudes arrogant, Paul, and then tell them, hey, watch and live like me and you'll, you'll be better off. But as Paul will make clear in chapter 11, verse 1, he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. In other words, the goal isn't for those in Corinth to be made more like Paul. The goal is for them to be made more like Jesus. And as they imitate Paul, who is imitating Christ, they will be made more like Jesus. You know, do you have people like that in your life? Because we all need information and demonstration. I need it. And as I watch my mother's life, I learn what it looks like to invest yourself in the lives of others for the sake of the gospel. As I watch Pastor David's life, I learn what it looks like to set ego aside and to seek not what is best for yourself, but best for the kingdom of God. As I watch Harriet Johnson's life, I learn what it looks like to have your eyes open, looking for those who need a friend and some encouragement in the Lord. Thank you, sister. As I watch Bill Kramer's life, I learn what it looks like to live not by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And as I watch them imitating Jesus, I am made more like Jesus. And that's why we all need discipleship relationships in our lives. 
And so uh, graduates, man, as you head into this next phase of your life, like your first order of business ought to be finding someone who will mentor you in the Christian faith. And to say, look, I need someone who will not only give me information, but demonstration. Someone who will teach me the right doctrine, but then show me what that doctrine looks like when it's lived out in life. And adults, like you need those relationships in your life. Who are you meeting with regularly so that you might be made more like Jesus? If you don't have that kind of a relationship, you ought to find one. You ought to start looking for someone and you say, man, they look more like Jesus than I do. And then you go up to that person and say, hey, you look a little bit more like Jesus than me. Would you be willing to help me follow Jesus better? And here's the good news. They have to say yes. And not only do they have to say yes because of the request, like they will say yes because they look like Jesus. If they say no, you've asked the wrong person. Look again. Right? But, but if you find someone who looks more like Jesus and you come and say, hey, would you help me to follow Jesus? They are going to say yes. There is no rejection there. And so you, you need to be looking for someone and just say, hey, can you help me follow Jesus better? And then you need to be looking for someone that you can help follow Jesus because like you might not have arrived. You're, you might not be at 100, but you might be at, you know, 45. And you can find someone who's at 15 and you can help them make it to 45, right? And so all of us ought to be in these relationships where someone is helping us to grow more like Jesus and we are helping someone else grow more like Jesus. We need this in our lives, both information and demonstration. And the problem in Corinth is that these current teachers, to use a thoroughly Texan phrase, they are all hat but no cattle. You know, I can go to Cavenders and I can buy me a cowboy hat. It does not make me a cowboy. And Paul is saying here in verses 19 and 20, these teachers that are present now in Corinth, they look the part. They seem legit. But Paul is saying, when I show up, we're going to see what they're really made of. Because the kingdom of God does not exist in talk, it exists in power. And this is not power to perform miracles. That's not what he's talking about. When he says the kingdom of God doesn't exist in talk but in power, he means power to live the Christian life. And so if you look back at chapter 4, verses 10 through 13 that we looked at a couple weeks ago, you see there, Paul has the ability to return reviling with blessing. He has the ability to return slander with comfort and encouragement. You look back at chapter 3, verse 10, and you see that Paul has the ability to see that every good gift in his life comes as a gift of God's grace. And as a result of that, in chapter 4, verse 1, the apostle Paul doesn't regard himself as better than anyone. Instead, he regards himself as a servant to all. And that is what power looks like. Power to live like Christ. And so what Paul is concerned with for the believers in Corinth and for every Christian is that we would learn the right things the right way from the right person so that we might have the right power. Power to live like Christ. Because after all, what is it that sets Jesus apart from every other religion and religious teacher? I mean, at least in part, it's his gentleness, isn't it? Isaiah 42 says of Jesus, 
a bruised reed he will not break. Is that how you feel this morning? You may have a really tough exterior, but your heart is broken. Your spirit is beaten down. You're discouraged, maybe depressed, feel like you are barely holding on. Some of you would say, Aaron, I wanted to sing this morning, but I just couldn't. I've wanted to pray this week, but I couldn't. I've wanted to read the Bible this week, but, but I couldn't. I am weak. And the reason you're pulling away from those things is because you've got a faulty understanding of who Jesus is. You know, some of you, you, you feel the weight of your sin, things that have been done in secret that you are scared would become made known. And so some of you, you feel like you don't even deserve to be in church this morning. Like you shouldn't be here because of what you have done. And what I want you to see is that Jesus came for people like you, people like me. And he came not to break you, but to heal you. Jesus has promised that a bruised reed he will not break. You, you can trust that when Jesus comes into your life, he's going to bring conviction of sin. And I mean strong conviction, strong enough that it'll send you running to Jesus to find forgiveness. But that conviction will never break you because a bruised reed he will not break. And you can trust that when Jesus steps into your life, he doesn't come with the rod to say, hey, uh, let me give them what they've got coming to them. Here's what they've done. Here's what they deserve. And I'm going to let them have it. That's what we often think when we sin. We move away from him because we think, man, he's going to drop the hammer on me now. But you can know that Jesus will never shame you and Jesus will never strike you. And you know why? Because the king of kings took on flesh and became a child. And that child took the form of a servant. A servant who endured the public shame of being killed on a cross. And Jesus endured that undeserved shame so that we might be set free from the shame our sin deserves. Jesus has, has taken that shame, so he's not going to wield shame like a weapon in your life. He came to set you free from it. And you can trust that Jesus isn't going to step into your life and swing a hammer and just try to destroy you and everything you care about and everything you love. He's not going to beat you down. He's not going to crush you because Jesus was struck. Jesus was whipped. Jesus was beaten. His hands and his feet were nailed to a cross. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquity. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his wounds, we are healed. A bruised reed he will not break. And so if you're at your breaking point this morning, if you're bruised and beaten down and discouraged, if you're hiding some things that you don't want to come to light, I need you to see why Jesus has done all of this, why he went to the cross and took the shame that your sin deserves, why he went to the cross and took God's wrath that your sin deserves. It is because you are his beloved child. And how great is the Father's love for us. 
And so if you're here and you are bruised and you are beaten down and you are weary, I'm here to tell you Jesus is here to help you and Jesus is here to heal you. So won't you go to Jesus for that help? If you're here and you're trying to figure out what to, to do with your life, like what am I supposed to do? Isn't that the kind of person you want to be? The kind of person that doesn't run roughshod over others, but the kind of person weak and weary people are just naturally drawn to because they know a bruised reed they will not break. And so may we be made like him as we imitate those who are imitating Jesus. We'll be made like him. People who can be not pedagogues, but spiritual fathers in the lives of others. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank you that you haven't come to shame us or strike us, but to gently and lovingly correct us. Father, we thank you that you took our shame, you took our sin, you took God's wrath, that we might be forgiven and set free. Lord, I ask as a special gift of the Spirit that even as I pray now, the good news of the gospel would wash afresh over the hearts of those hearing it. Father, that they would remember your heart, who you are, and they would run to you, fall at your feet, and seek your help and healing. And I ask this in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Hayes Hills Podcast Network. Feel free to follow us for more content. And if you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit us at hayeshills.com.